You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. On August 4th, Pope Francis released a letter to 400,000 priests around the world. In the letter, he offered his concern for them in the midst of the current sexual abuse crisis. I'm going to read just a couple of sentences from this letter because I think it has meaning for all of us. Some time ago, I shared with the Italian bishops my worry that, in more than a few places, our priests feel themselves attacked and blamed for crimes they did not commit. I mentioned that priests need to find in their bishop an older brother and a father who reassures them in these difficult times, encouraging and supporting them along the way. As an older brother and a father, I too would like in this letter to thank you in the name of the holy and faithful people of God for all that you do for them, and to encourage you never to forget the words that the Lord spoke with great love to us on the day of our ordination. Those words are the source of our joy. Quote, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I read this excerpt to you today first in support of our priests and thanking the Holy Father for sending this letter to them. They courageously wear that Roman collar each day, and they try to be a witness and a servant to the world. But also, I mention it because it's not only priests who feel this sense of persecution and challenge in the midst of this crisis. As laity, and those of us who have given our lives and careers to the mission of advancing our church, many of us have those same feelings. The Gospel this past Sunday said, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds vigilant on his arrival. Friends, we've got to stay vigilant, and during times like this, we've got to pull together and not apart. We've got to lean in during times of adversity. I've told this to many fundraisers over the years, and I'll say it today. In all sincerity, this work is very hard. So develop a good prayer life and remain faithful to your core. I'm glad our Holy Father is reaching out to his priests and showing them his concern and support. Make sure that you're doing that with the people in your office, whether they're laity, clergy, or religious. People have to know that you have their back, and you have to listen to them. So on behalf of all of us at Changing Our World, thanks for all you do to advance our church. Now, let's get to work. This week, we continue our focus on diocesan capital campaigns, and we travel to the Diocese of Camden in New Jersey, and we're going to talk with the Development Director, Mary Ann Gilbride, the Vicar General, Father Robert Hughes, and our very own Sean Trahan joins us again. Sean is a Senior Managing Director for Changing Our World. In August 2017, the Diocese of Camden launched the Catholic Strong Campaign in their parishes in order to meet the needs of the diocese. Sean Trahan managed that campaign along with a team from Changing Our World. A couple of weeks ago, I traveled to Camden to meet up with Sean, Mary Ann, and Father Hughes to learn more about their story. And so here's our conversation. Well, we're here in the Diocese of Camden in New Jersey, and we're talking with the development team. So we're here with Father Bob Hughes and, uh, and with Sean Trahan, a Senior Managing Director uh, for Changing Our World. And our topic today is the capital campaign that was conducted by the Diocese of Camden in uh, just the last few years. And Sean, you were the Executive uh, Counsel on the campaign. And Marianne, you're the uh, fairly new uh, Development Director, but not new to the Diocese of Camden, but new to your position. Uh, maybe we'll just kind of go around uh, the table here for a second, and everybody can kind of introduce themselves. Marianne, do you want to start? Um, Marianne Gilbride, Director of Development for the Diocese. I actually started here back 
back at the turn of the century <laughs> uh, in the year 2000 uh, with the annual appeal and uh, then stepped out for a couple of years in uh, 2013. Just got back this year, 2019, to help steer the ship for development, so to speak. Father Bob? I'm the Vicar General and uh, moderator of the Curia for the Diocese of Camden for the past six years. So I was very much involved in the selection of the, the team, you know, and the running of the campaign. So Wonderful. And Sean, uh, we've had you on the podcast before, but maybe just for anybody who hasn't met you. Sure. So Sean Trahan, and as Jim indicated, I am um, Senior Managing Director with Change in Our World and served as the campaign manager here for the um, Diocese of Camden campaign. Well, terrific. And, and thanks all for taking a few minutes with us today to talk about uh, this important project. Um, I know we're at the tail end here. We have just a couple parishes that are finishing up the, the campaign here. You've raised over $40 million, which was a very big success and I'm sure has transformed a lot of the parishes and helped them in new ways and helped the diocese in new ways. And so we want to learn a little bit more about that uh, today in our conversation. Maybe we just start with it. So the name of your campaign was Catholic Strong. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, how, how you came up with that name? Well, I was the only one that was here at the time that they were <laughs> discussing that, so um, I guess that will fall to me. Sure. The communications department, along with Changing Our World, had a team that they put together to uh, look at possibilities for an, a you know, campaign theme and also a logo. They went back and forth with a variety of different ideas and then came to me one day with the idea of Catholic Strong. And my first reaction to it was, absolutely not. Really? Yeah, because to me, it was every time we use the phrase strong, it follows a disaster. Oh. So we had Hurricane Sandy, we were Jersey strong. You know, we have the Boston bombing, we're Boston strong, you know, and things like that. And I'm like, well, we're not doing this campaign as a result of a disaster, so maybe this is not the right theme. But then as we continued to talk about it and work, uh, work with it, we came to the conclusion that it probably is the perfect name. When the video was created to promote the campaign, it was amazing because it finished with a variety of people each making the this, this statement that I am Catholic strong. And so mm -hmm. the strength of our faith and the commitment to faith behind the, the choice that people had to give was, uh, you know, extremely important. Very powerful, too. Very powerful language, especially uh, in today's climate. And uh, as I saw the, the materials, I, I was very impressed with it. Sean, how did you see it kind of playing out in the parishes for the campaign? You know... We viewed it, and I think many people in the parishes uh, viewed it as a theme that can carry on beyond the life of the campaign. And as Father Hughes stated toward the end of the video, there were several people that said, I am Catholic Strong. We are Catholic Strong. And um, I think it just resonated with many families just across the diocese. We came to really like the theme. I had no knowledge of, you know, any of that. So thanks for sharing that. Certainly, you know, as we continue to conduct Austin campaigns, uh, that's a name that I will definitely keep in mind because I think many bishops and vicar generals were really like that. Absolutely. So, Father, you know, you were here kind of, I'm sure, at the very beginning of the impetus of the campaign, the idea to move forward with the campaign. Can you tell us a bit about what was the thought process or the process maybe that you moved through as you thought about implementing a diocesan campaign in here, here in Camden? Mm-hmm. You know, we have Bishop Sullivan as our bishop, and he had previously been the vicar general in the diocese of Archdiocese of New York. So he was very familiar with the fact that in dioceses around the country, capital campaigns are conducted on a regular basis. 
And it had been quite some time in South Jersey since we had our last uh, diocesan-wide campaign. And he felt that from his experience of going around from parish to parish, which he's been extremely generous with his time and has gotten to know very well the parishes and the parish communities of uh, of our diocese, and uh, realized that now was the time to remind parishes that we have to give or remind Catholics that we have to give to support the church, but also in recognition that there's so much that needed to be done in parishes. And uh, not just, he wasn't really concerned with capital needs. He was more concerned with ministerial needs. Uh, so much of a parish budget is dedicated to things that don't change, that maybe this campaign could help us to augment those budgets and allow programming that was not, you know, not able to be done before that. That's why the 70-30 split was something that he was very, very much in favor of and, and uh, very positive about because he wanted to make sure that everybody understood this is not a diocesan campaign. This is a parish campaign. And because the work of the church isn't done at the diocesan level, the work of the church is done at the parish level. So he wanted to put that theme out there, that idea that we're not Catholic strong because we have a diocesan center in Camden. We're Catholic strong because we have 60 plus parishes where the work of, of Jesus is done. Beautifully said, and, and I'm sure that, Marianne, you're seeing uh, at the parish level uh, some great um, great things happening because of the campaign and kind of repercussions because of that. I mean, whenever you engage parishioners, whenever you engage pastors in a big project like this, certainly it encourages involvement, it encourages participation. Is that what you're seeing now? Absolutely. The teams that were built at each parish really shed light on the love that the laity has for their church and the composition of the case components for each parish really lent themselves to what those specific needs and areas of growth that were so necessary. Some parishes had so many years of delayed maintenance because of not having the funds to be able to build those things back up again. The other thing that I found encouraging was the number of parishes who were dedicating funds to a brand new youth minister or a music minister or a lifelong faith formation minister that they did not have the funds to begin in the past and now was an opportunity. So the concern is not only for the, the physical needs, but the spiritual needs to grow the faith of their community. Anything you'd add, Sean, to that? No, I would say you're definitely uh, right on. And I think the fact that we look to the pastors to identify their needs really help them own the campaign. The volunteers, of course, having a key role in sitting with Father and saying, here are the things that we would like to see here in our parish. And I think great ownership helped them participate in the campaign and really want to do a good job and saw the benefit not only within their parish, but diocesan-wide with the other funds that were going to be supported throughout the campaign. And Father and Marianne, was this the first diocesan campaign that the Diocese of Camden had engaged in? No, back in 1994, we had mm -hmm. a diocesan-wide campaign called United in Faith and Mission. Mm -hmm. um, when Bishop McHugh was the bishop, he conducted the second diocesan synod uh, you know, for the Diocese of Camden. And as a result of that, had things that he wanted to see implemented 
you know, and therefore felt that a campaign was necessary. So, but it was a small campaign, you know, given mm-hmm. today's standards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you feel that this campaign uh, could have happened earlier, or do you think that the timing was right for that? I mean, sometimes some dioceses or some institutions uh, have a campaign every ten years or so. Right. Is this kind of long overdue, or was this something that was just the right timing for you? I think it was the right timing. And yeah, we had this, you know, uh, we had a series of uh, uh, ten years after the Uniting of Faith and Mission campaign, we probably could have done a campaign, but that was the time when Bishop DiMarzio was was transferred, and then we had Bishop Galante come in, and then of course it takes time for a Bishop to get established, and by the time he got established, Bishop you know Sullivan was here, so uh, but Bishop Sullivan because of his personality and his work ethic. Uh, made such great strides in unifying the diocese after a period of mergers and really coming to know the people that we felt it was the right time for people to give because they knew who they were giving to, you know. And uh, so I think it was the right time. So this was really the largest, it sounds like, the largest campaign that uh, the diocese has ever conducted. Certainly historical. $40 $40 million raised as a result of one campaign diocesan-wide is, is more than we've ever collected as a result of a single campaign. Our annual appeal brings in between 7 and $8 million every year, and so this over and above that is, is really tremendous when you think about it. A diocese of our size still being able to raise around $8 million a year, and then Raising another forty million diocesan wide on top of that is is pretty significant. So, what happened with the with, now that you brought up the annual appeal? Maybe we could take a moment on that. I know you've had a strong annual appeal for a number of years. It's called the House of Charity. So, Sean and 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 Father, when you guys were putting this campaign together, did you put the annual appeal on hold? Did you continue it as it normally goes? Did you work around it? Did you incorporate it? How did you structure that? I think we were flexible in, we did not suspend the campaign. The House of Charity continued as usual. Some parishes were given the opportunity, especially in phase one, to incorporate their House of Charity into the goal for for Catholic Strong. And then, as I said, we were flexible in dealing with other parishes and their particular needs when it came to the campaign. When I think back to some of the parishes that I worked with, some parishes were skeptical. Some pastors felt that the House of Charity, as well as Catholic Strong, could not thrive together and be very successful. Today, I, I can say that for a number of parishes, they're now looking back saying, we did it. When I think of Sacred Heart around the corner, there was one parish who said, we're located here in Camden. We can't do it. But with Monsignor and, and Father and the volunteers, they pushed right through it. And I can think of, and that's just one example, but when I think of parishes across the diocese, you know, time and time again, they were not only successful with Catholic Strong, but were able to show the need for the importance of House of Charity. Donors stepped up. And when you put the, the campaign together, I'm sure that many of the House of Charity donors were probably great candidates to be on your campaign leadership committee at your local parish. Did you find that those who were leaders in the diocesan annual fund also played a role in this capital campaign in some way? Yeah, I would definitely say there was, you know, a crossover. Of course, um, pastors typically go to the same people all the time. (laughs) 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 But those are the people who get things done. Right, right, exactly. So what approach did Bishop Sullivan take to garner support from uh, his priests? Uh, what, what was his role in the campaign? Bishop took a very active role in the campaign. I think the, the first decision to allow the 70-30 split sure. um, was that the priests were, the pastors were surprised that 
that that would ever happen because it's it's so rare that that you ever hear of something like that. And then he reminded them that the diocese is paying for you to have a parish parish capital campaign, you know. So realize that this is a gift that the diocese is making to you and to your parish, you know. And so try to make sure that you take advantage of that. And then you know he provided support by having deanery meetings and other meetings of the priests and bringing in resources from Changing Our World, as well as we have uh, Monsignor Louis Marucci, who is very well known. Uh, you know, in capital campaign circles, he conducted a workshop for for pastors, uh, and then made himself available to pastors to to help them with questions that they might have. Over and over, we pr- tried to provide through Bishop every bit of support we could to to help pastors and parishes be successful. I think the other thing that he did, you always talk about in fundraising campaigns, that it's important to ask. If you don't ask. Um, you probably won't get. Bishop asks his priests to make a financial gift as well. And I I think many of them took that deeply to heart. Yep, if I'm going to support this campaign, I need to do it 100%. And um, so we had some good participation from our clergy. Raising just over a million dollars from the clergy. clergy. That's a very yeah. powerful statement to the laity. Absolutely. I, I know Monsignor from years ago and having worked with Marianne a little bit here in the Diocese of Camden some 17 years ago, he was the former development director. And I'm, so, I'm, I'm sure that he had a lot of credibility when he stood up and talked with his brother priests about the importance of the campaign and having a peer-to-peer relationship, I would think, with the other pastors was, was, could have been very powerful. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Did he play a role in, in helping in other ways with the campaign? He absolutely did. Um, you know, when I came on board, I saw the value that he could certainly bring, one, having that role uh, within the development office, and then also just being viewed as a leader among his brother priests across the diocese. And so worked very closely with him to develop a relationship. He owned it right away. And I have to say, when I think of other campaigns, I think of someone like a Monsignor Marucci who could serve in a role that could um, be viewed as a leader and sort of um, an overseer for parishes, you know, just a resource where they can pick up the phone. They may not want to call the vicar general. They may not want to call, obviously, the bishop. Right. But if they have someone who's gone through the trenches with them and they can say, I don't like this campaign or I do like this campaign, <laughs> right? you know, and I don't like it because of X, Y, and Z, or I do like it because of X, Y, and Z. What are some of the things that you did to make you, you know, your parish successful? And I think having that resource, um, because we know that these campaigns are not the easiest. Um, there are some parishes that, of course, do it and they make it seem like it's effortless, but we recognize the time that it takes. And we know that priests, that's not their primary responsibility. Um, you know, they have many other things on their plate, but when they can pick up the phone and have a resource and bounce ideas off of and know that they're talking to someone who's been through the challenges with them. Monsignor was a great resource in not only making phone calls to pastors to say, great job, or how can I help you? Or sitting down with them to talk about some of the things that he did. And just really uh, talking about within his own parish, the importance of the Catholic Strong Campaign and the importance of House of Charity and how to effectively communicate the importance of the two and how both can uh, be successful uh, when conducted simultaneously. So I would say throughout the Catholic Strong Campaign, he was truly a resource and someone that 
I would certainly look to recruit in that caliber uh, on future Dawson campaigns. I think it's a role that's definitely necessary. His efforts were were certainly visible to uh, the rest of the diocese. How does he make his goal every year annually? How did he make his Catholic Strong goal? Um, I was not back with the diocese yet in a work capacity, but uh, was invited to participate with my own parish here, uh, Christ the King, and attended one of the early meetings for the parishes that were going to be in my block. And Monsignor had put together very well done uh, PowerPoint presentation uh, that that he shared with everyone that was really kind of down to earth. This is what you do. It's a great plan. Follow the plan. If you have questions, call me. I'm here to help. And he really was. He, he did answer the questions as, as people reached out. He was a great resource. Sounds like that was a huge success for the campaign. Were there other successes that you can think of that happened during the course of the campaign? That you can that you'd like to mention, Mary you could probably list off a couple of them. And if we had uh, Mike Walsh here, I'm sure he could. But <laughs> one that comes to mind is a little girl who gave just a, a a small contribution, but it was a huge sacrifice for her, and she did it because you know the pastor was talking about the Catholic Strong campaign, and and she just wanted to be a part of it. Um, another parish it escapes um, that the name of the parish escapes my mind, but. There was a lady who was ill. She was in the hospital, and she prayed for God to to heal her body. And she said, God, if you just heal my body, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whoa, wow. And she was healed and gave a significant contribution to that parish as a result. So she felt very uh, thankful um, for um, God granting her um, prayers. Wow, very powerful. So there's many stories like that, of course, in these campaigns. We can go on and on and on. There's always um, great stories to share, and you see the, the real value when a parishioner recognizes that their bishop, their vicar general, wants to help their parish thrive. It's not just the money going to the diocese. They can actually see a real benefit at their local communities. The relationships, um, I think, that grew as a result of this, too. Um Many of the pastors are familiar with the the one-on-one ask that they might do for their higher-level donors through the annual appeal, but this gave the laity um, a stronger opportunity to... um, meet one-on-one with some of their co-parishioners, to, to hear those parishioners' stories, um, to, to build bonds a, a little bit stronger, knowing that, oh, I've seen you in the church before. You go to the 10 o'clock mass and you sit in a third pew. And, um, you know, so putting names with, with those faces and just building a tighter-knit community. One of the presentations that was done at our parish by George Lynn talked about that very thing. We are a strong community here at Christ the King, and with this campaign, we can lock arms, stand up together, and say, we are Christ the King Parish. We support our church. We are Catholic strong. It was very powerful. And I think it worked in concert with an effort that was also underway at the same time in our diocese, and that was uh, in March, we had a convocation of Catholic leaders that mimicked the national convocation that took place in July of 2017. So for four days, uh, 10 parishioners and their pastor from each of the parishes assembled in Atlantic City for a four-day conference. Having worked together on the Catholic Strong campaign and then working together on developing parish leadership teams, 
and then coming together as a diocese was a very, very powerful experience. And I don't think that experience would have been the same if we hadn't already been underway with the Catholic Strong campaign. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the agenda for that convocation. It must have been very powerful. It was. We had uh, five keynote addresses with about 40, I think 40, 45 workshops daily liturgy with the bishop, of course, and, uh, you know, and then opportunity for people just to get together as parish, you know, various parishioners from a particular parish or between parishes to meet each other and to talk about the future of the church here in South Jersey. So, Powerful prelude to a campaign, getting people together, getting them excited again about their faith, getting them involved with their parish. Right. Great idea. I think the campaign actually laid the foundation for the convocation. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's it, so which was great. Wonderful. And people realized that some of the campaign funds were, you know, dedicated to the convocation. So, you know, it was a, a sense of evangelization and leadership development uh, that hopefully will continue to bear fruit in the diocese, not just in the House Charity Campaign, but across the, you know, the way in which parishes look at themselves and operate. The priests can't do it by themselves. Sure. And, you know, so both the Catholic Strong Campaign and the convocation have tried to remind parishes that, we need our lay people to step up to the plate, you know, and to work together with their their priests uh, to make their community strong. And I can tell you, Jim, being in the parishes uh, immediately following the convocation, we saw and heard firsthand the excitement that uh, the volunteers came back with, not only just the volunteers, but also the pastors. And it was just sort of like they were re-energized uh, and ready to go all over again. So it was certainly uh, a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've talked about some of the great successes. Uh, with every campaign comes a few challenges. Uh, no, no, except for in Camden. But <laughs> we just, didn't have any here. Let's just say, arguably, there was one or two. Can you think of any uh, challenges you, that uh, you may have had that, uh, and, and maybe how you overcame them? Data. <laughs> Data. <laughs> Data was the bane of our existence. Really? Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness! Tell us about that. Yeah. Um... I don't want to think about it, but no. <laughs> I can tell you I'm prepared for my next campaign. Though. Yes, I'll bet you are. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, too, from a standpoint of working uh, on a previous capital campaign yeah. with the Diocese of Trenton, um, data is huge. Mm. And trying to combine or pull together individual parish data when not every single parish is using the same software or the same version of the software and maybe not even having the same standards of how they use that software is a huge challenge. The annual appeal at a diocese is often a great starting place because that data has been used year after year and, and has been scrubbed to a good deal. But when, when you try to pull data from the parish into the diocese to pull them together, there's the, the duplication uh, of records possibility because um, somebody sp spells their name with a no apostrophe space and then the last name or a no with no apostrophe or a no apostrophe no space last name. There are are just so many intricate ways that the data can be different. It's it's just the biggest challenge. Yeah, definitely. I would say it, it was certainly the, the biggest challenge and days and weeks lost early on trying to, as Marianne stated, how to export that data. There was no uniform way to get the data out of you know different versions of software. Collectively, you know, as a team, we came together and figured out maybe the best way to do this is by going into um, 
pulling the data remotely because many of the parishes, with the exception of just a few, were very, um, they were not very knowledgeable in terms of um, other than just, you know, putting data in, not sure how to export it. So we set up go-to meetings where we could provide a resource to those parishes to basically just go in and relieve the stress from them, you know, them having to sit there for hours trying to pull it out. So we were able to export that data. And as Marianne stated, import it into Razor's Edge after hours and countless hours of trying to scrub that data, not only having to merge it, but after that, um, trying to identify duplicates and working with the parish. And, you know, of course, parishes have limited resources in terms of of staff. And so being respectful of that, uh, we tried to offer as much assistance as a campaign team could possibly offer, not knowing one John Doe from the other John Doe. But together, we made it work. And I can tell you that we perfected it along the way. And can't say that it got easy. It did get much easier uh, by the time we were in our last block of the campaign. So I'm hopeful that if you guys do another campaign, that the data process will be a little easier and uh, we've all learned something as a result of it. But Marianne's absolutely right. On every uh, large Dawson campaign, you know, data is, is often a challenge. So that's a good tip for anybody listening and thinking about a major diocesan campaign. Let's start looking at the data right now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Good. Any other, any other challenges uh, that you encounter through the campaign? I think the secondary challenge, which is probably, you know, realized in most campaigns, was uh, the priest and pastor's reluctance, you know, about the campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody likes to ask others for money. Sure. And it had been so long since pastors had been expected to do so here that you you had a lot of training that had to happen to help them feel comfortable doing it along with their their lay teams. You know, so little by little, the reluctance began to wane. You know, that is always a challenge. I always joke and say, one day, they'll offer Fundraising 101 in the seminary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, well, Sean, how, how, did, uh, how did your team uh, work with pastors who were a little bit reluctant? At Changing Our World, we, we definitely pride ourselves on tailoring the plan. It's not a cookie cutter by any means, uh, cookie cutter approach. We work to learn who the pastor is learn a little bit about his personality, his style, uh, and also try to gain as much information about the parish community. And tailoring the plan is really what garners you success because one, you're building that relationship, you're building that trust uh, with the pastor, with volunteer leadership. And once you can cross that hurdle, because of course, as, as Father Hughes stated, no one really likes to ask for money. Um And when you recognize the case, you know, how those dollars will be utilized and you overcome your fear and you assure them that as campaign director, you're there to hold their hands throughout the entire process. We're in this together as a team. And while this is the campaign plan, we're going to work with you to to tailor it to best fit your parish uh, culture and and, and the pastor's style. And so we definitely, um, you know, worked very closely to do that. And as a firm, I'd say we pride ourselves on that um, because we know that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach uh, for, you know, any campaign or personalities or whatever it may be. You know, as a result, I I think we uh, garner great results. 
I always like to say, you've seen one parish, you've seen one parish. I mean, they each, <laughs> they each have their own unique charism and their right. own identity and the needs that they serve and the unique community. And the pastor's uh, leadership style certainly permeates everything that is a part of that community. So it's so important to f- establish that relationship and trust and, and uh, that rapport, I think, as a mm-hmm. campaign director when you're working with them. As we look at the different case components for uh, Catholic Strong Catholic education was uh, a case plank for the case for support. Uh, what what did those funds go to support at the dia? And we're talking now about the diocesan level. How did uh, how did those or how are those funds projected to be spent? Right, projected is the is the operative uh, word. Right, <laughs> we haven't started really dispersing funds sure. at the diocesan level at this point. But the uh, you know I just met with the superintendent, the new superintendent of schools, to go over the case components for Catholic education and to look to see how we can continue to use those funds over the next five or six years to strengthen our schools and to uh, you know to help people access our schools. So I would think the uh, significant portion of the funds are going to be used as the case uh, statement said to provide grants for people that would like to have you know their children in Catholic schools. So uh, you know that's one of the major efforts. And then you know working with the school's office, to strengthen the professional development of teachers and principals so that each of our schools gets stronger as a result, uh, you know, is a, is a very important aspect of the, of the using the campaign funds as well. So. Another one was uh, assistance for the needy, some uh, addressing the opioid crisis and assistance to the poor. $4 million targeted for that. Uh, obviously, every diocese, I think, in the country is dealing with the opioid epidemic. And so it's wonderful that you're tackling that uh, head, head on. Is that going to be handled through Catholic Charities or how does how does that handled here in the diocese? That is handled through Catholic Charities. Mm-hmm. And the the goal there is, and we have now, we have hired someone to head that office, um, you know, is to create we know we can't treat people who have opioid issues. We can't do that. It's not within the power of a parish community to do that. But we can provide support to families who are dealing with people who are uh, opioid addicted or those who are trying to turn their lives around. So what we would like to see happen is that our parishes develop programs specific to their needs that provide support to families and individuals who are struggling with addiction. We'd like to see that replicated in as many parishes as we possibly can. We have a program already in place in the diocese called Stephen Ministry. I think just about half of our parishes have Stephen Ministry programs. So that kind of uh, support can be a foundation for you know growing the ministry that we do to those who are in need. So, And certainly the campaign is an opportunity to make parishioners aware that these ministries are even happening, where maybe in the typical day-to-day, they may not even be aware that the diocese is facing this kind of challenge and wanting to tackle it head-on. So certainly from a public relations and even a communication standpoint, I'm sure there are many folks were pleased to know that the diocese was tackling this this important issue. How about evangelization? You know, we talked a little bit about that great convocation you had as part of that. Uh, what are some of the other evangelization efforts? Well, I think that the follow-up to the convocation, mm-hmm. uh, every parish in the diocese was expected to create what was called the Easter uh, plan or uh, Easter project. And uh, the um, so the implementation of each of those projects at the local level is all about evangelization and continuing to develop their leadership team. Parishes were looking for ways to do outreach within their own community so that people, just as you said, come to understand 
what ministries the parish actually offers, but then also how do we reach out beyond the parish community to invite fallen away Catholics and non-Catholics, you know, to understand what the church offers. There's already a great investment of time and effort across the diocese in the parishes to follow up on the convocation and the work of evangelization. Of course, last but certainly not least, uh, 70% of the funds went to the parish, $35 million projected. And I'm sure that you're that some, some of the parishes are already beginning to receive funds from, from the campaign and beginning to realize that. Uh, any, any particular stories come to mind? We've distributed back to the parishes about $4 million so far. And um, it's, it's been exciting because um, the money gets transferred into a specific uh, account for them. And then they reach back out to say, okay, we're getting ready. We need to use our money. These were the case components we have. This is what we want to work on now. Uh, we know some of those funds are already being used to handle or to get started on on some of those deferred maintenance issues. My parish in particular has now rate, um, hired a youth minister, which was, you know, one of our case components. So like it's, things are getting exciting because it's now becoming real. Now they've got the funds to kind of get started on these things. So Terrific. So um, what advice do you all have for dioceses that might be considering launching a capital campaign? I'm sure um, all of you have some, some wisdom to share for those who may be listening. Get your data in order. Yeah. <laughs> we covered that. I know, we, we got that. <laughs> That's yeah. good. No, data, data, data. Absolutely. Well, good data and, in, good data out, right? And I, and I think that having it organically come to, to fruition by involving stakeholders from the beginning uh, is really important. So that in, our, in this diocese, the bishop, you know, felt that it was time to do a capital campaign. He went to the Finance Council and to the Development Committee of our Diocesan Finance Council, as well as to Diocesan Pastoral Council, you know, and said, you know, these are, this is what I'm considering. This is why I'm considering. This is how I'd like to see it happen. You know, what do you think? And then the Development Committee of the Finance Council really took ownership of it. They were the ones that looked at, you know, what was possible and what companies, you know, could be, uh, you know, could be helpful. They interviewed and then proposed, you know, to the bishop and I, the, you know, changing our world as the, as the capital campaign company. I think right from the beginning, there was a great deal of support that made it not just the bishop's campaign, but some something that finance council, pastoral council, and diocesan staff understood was a necessity at this time. So I think that helped to, you know, help to get things launched differently than it would be if the bishop just said, we're doing a campaign and this is how this is going to work. Yeah, sure. because oftentimes, as you know, Jim, uh, when we go in to conduct these diocesan campaigns, the average parishioner views it as it's the bishop's campaign, or, or the average pastor right. thinks it's the bishop's campaign. And so definitely the route that Bishop Sullivan took to um, help not only get the key people on board, but also help them or help him sort of uh, articulate the importance and the message of the campaign. Uh, so it's not always viewed just from the top. You know, there were, there were key people at the local parishes really uh, promoting it. I think the other thing that helps, too, is in putting the feasibility study together um, and interviewing the, the pastors and the finance councils and the lay leaders, listening to their feedback, because it can certainly happen where, from a diocesan standpoint, the needs seem to be X, Y, and Z, but there may be an A and B that the parish leaders can, can share that... Um, 
may need to take precedence over the X, Y, or Z. So um, just listening to the feedback when when you put it out there in the beginning to decide, you know, can we do a campaign? And if we do, what will people support? What are our needs? Yeah, I also think um, selecting carefully those what we called here pilot parishes, the first group of parishes, because they really help set or lay the foundation um, of the campaign. And what our data challenges, I think that was somewhat a setback for us. So I view that as, as certainly a challenge because it was sort of start and stop and then start again. So carefully selecting those parishes and carefully building out your timeline to make sure that when you say go, you're ready to go. You know, and and we were able to overcome it as best we could. But, um, you know, advice, definitely making sure that when you say go, that everything is ready to move forward. One of my last questions, you know, we're we're all faced with the reality of some of the climate of, of the abuse scandal. And, um, you know, every diocese is, is dealing with that in their own way. I know the Diocese of Camden has been very proactive from the very beginning when this broke loose back in 2002 and being very transparent under Bishop DiMarzio. Uh, but still, it, it's it's in the air and it's in the national news and we, we hear about it quite often. Did that have an impact on uh, the Catholic Strong campaign? It did, you know, and then with the release of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report last summer, just as another group of parishes were getting ready to begin their campaigns, um, it, you know, was brought to the forefront of people's minds. But I think two things that Bishop Sullivan did in response to that were very helpful to the campaign and to our parishes, and that was uh, when the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report was issued, he made a very strong statement. Uh, that actually got recognized by the Catholic media, you know, organizations, uh, you know, that was read at every single parish in the diocese. And then earlier this year, when we released the names of, of priests in our diocese and, and the whole state of New Jersey, um, Bishop, at the advice of our pastoral council, made a video uh, that was shown at all the parishes. That caused us to push back our House of Charity because th that needed to be done. But the, it was very, very well received because people, it's different when you hear a letter read by the pastor that comes from the bishop vis-a-vis uh, -vis seeing the bishop on video and feeling, you know, his contempt and, and his upsetment and, and recognizing his sorrow for, you know, what has happened, you know, really, I think, helped parishes to say he's taking it seriously. Very authentic and very personal. But... The other question I wanted to ask you was, uh, did the Eagles winning the Super Bowl have any kind of positive impact on the capital campaign? Everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> Were people writing big checks the next day and praising God? And <laughs> the Lord loves a cheerful guest. That's, exactly right. that's absolutely right. So uh, you raised over $40 million for the campaign. Some of your larger gifts, I, I think, were around $250,000. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. you had a few of those, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. it's fantastic. Yeah. So a strong major gift program is part of, as we all know, trying to raise 70 to 80% of those funds before we go to Commitment Sunday. And that strong leadership major advance uh, special phase is, was, I'm sure, really critical. And the support of all of you and the continued support, I'm sure, continues to be su uh, successful and, su and supportive as you go into the pledge redemption piece and communicating how the funds are being spent and the transparency piece, I'm sure, is, is critical. Any final thoughts? 
We are Catholic strong. (laughs) (laughs) We are. That says it all. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank all of you for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate the conversation. And I'm sure that there's a bishop or a vicar general or a diocesan development director who's listening. I I hope that this has been helpful to them to learn a little bit more about uh, a great capital campaign, a great example here in the Diocese of Camp. And thank you all for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Sean, Marianne, and Father Hughes for being on our show this week. What a great story and a great example to all of us about being bold and leaning in during these challenging times. On behalf of Changing Our World, we're proud to have served this diocese. Thank you for all you do to serve the mission of our church. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our podcast, please visit us at AdvancingOurChurch.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at ChangingOurWorld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a great week. Take care, and God bless.